As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, a podcast about a life following Watford FC, brought to you by The Athletic. It's another midweek podcast and uh, you know, you've probably seen it on Sky Sports, you might have seen it somewhere in the world, Watford have just drawn 1-1 uh, at home to Brentford. Uh, well, it's a game we're going to talk about, well I'm not going to talk about it, DCW, Colin and Jason were at the game and they gathered afterwards, we'll hear from them and later on the podcast uh, we'll hear from Mike and Adam, they also gathered at the game, yeah, I'm the only one who wasn't at the game, it's true, uh, and Adam and Mike chatted away about some of the recent articles Adam has written on The Athletic about Troy Deeney and also Glenn Murray, but more of that in part two. So let's go live, well, pre-recorded, but right after the game, outside Rickridge Road, where DCW was chatting to Jason and Colin. Right then, fellas, uh, DCW here, and I'm with uh, Colin and Jason. We were three of the lucky 2,000 to get into Vicarage Road tonight. Could be the, some of the last 2,000 that gets in for a while. First things first, fellas, how was it to be back? It was great. I worked out last night that it's 290 days since I was. I last watched a live game of football. It was last at Vicarage Road. Um, and I, I, I was trying to work out when the last time that probably happened. And it was probably it was at least 30 years ago. Because I've been to games regularly ever since then. And I think, I think there might have been a season that I missed late 80s. And that's a long time. <laughs> and a long time to not, to, uh, to not see some live football. And sitting here, I started to realise why I enjoy coming to football so much. Just the atmosphere was great. And you get to see the whole game. You don't just see where the TV camera's taking you. You can see everything that's going on. And, and as soon as I saw that and realised that, it, it just felt really good to be back. Carl, you're bouncing up and down here. Have you missed being this cold at football? <laughs> I forgot how cold you get. I mean, I've been sitting in the warmth of my own sitting room watching it on my laptop. thinking, oh, this is all right, isn't it? And then you come out here and I didn't wear enough clothing. And I'm absolutely frozen to, to, to death. But it's great to be back. And actually, I thought... Uh, that was quite a decent game of championship football. It was up an atom. It, it went back and forth. Uh, we had some good spells. Uh, right at the beginning, I thought we played, started quite well. Second, beginning of the second half, we came out all guns blazing, forced 
uh, forced them back, uh, which we hadn't done really in the first half. They look like a really seasoned championship side. They know exactly what they're doing. They move the ball well. Their movement was good. So all in all, it was quite exciting. Um, I thought we were going to lose for most of the first half. I thought they were going to get the better of us. Well, it's interesting you say that because we, we were sitting at opposite ends of the ground and I thought first half, I was down the rookery end, you were, you were the vicar of and I thought first half, the most exciting thing from a Watford perspective was your mug on the big screen, Cole, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, my poor daughters are so embarrassed. I hadn't told them that I'd sent that photo in and boom, there it was, smiling at Wembley uh, for the cup final, that was, I think. Well, I mean, you could see in the first half particularly, Brentford gave us something, perhaps a slight different question to answer than we've had in recent weeks. They're a team that play football. They're a team that's been together with a few players in and out for a few years now. They play, they play good football. They, they keep possession. Whereas in previous weeks, we've been used to sort of having the ball and teams have been sitting back with us. So it was completely role-reversed this, this first half, wasn't it, Chase? Yeah, like Connie said, I thought we did start well. I thought the first 10 minutes we were good. I thought... We rather than sort of using Dini as a focal point early, I thought we were trying to get the ball wide more, probably because Saar was on the pitch. I thought Saar and Gakia and Garner were linking up as a three well in that first ten minutes. Then sort of doubt started to creep in and we just kept giving the ball away. The the number of passes that went astray, so and, and Brentford grew in confidence from that, they pressed us more. There were a couple of moments sort of later in the first half where we almost did the same to them. We we tried to press they felt a little bit uncomfortable on the ball at times and, and we almost sort of made things happen from that but just not enough and then it sort of settled back down into us being slow pass sideways pass sideways give the ball away um, and I don't think we had much possession overall in the, in the first half it seemed like we were trying to play a possession game keep it sort of the tempo slow and it but you just kept giving the ball away. You've got to get the basics right if that's how you want to play football. Absolutely. I think, the, and the, you know, it was actually quite nice to hear the grumbles and the groans from the crowd, actually. I, I, was, I really missed that. But it was Chalabar, from, from, where I, from where I was sitting, seemed to be the one that very good at breaking up the play, getting around and, and getting himself in there. But when he got it, he just couldn't find the passes, could he? No, he gave the ball away. I mean, I, it, was, it was many, many, many times and also quite often in quite dangerous areas, which really, really didn't help. It just pulled more pressure on ourselves. But then, after half time we sort of we seemed to come to life a little bit like there was a bit more belief in the legs I, I really enjoyed watching Garner play up in the we played 4-5-1 uh, and that meant that Garner was playing in the kind of number 10 role behind Deeney and I thought he worked really hard and he was quite creative his movement was good he picked the ball up he wants the ball all the time he wants the ball he gets very frustrated if he doesn't get it past him and I thought he was good so in the second half beginning of the second half we really did put them under pressure and eventually the penalty came, Haven't, couldn't see it, you, you, you're more clear on that one because it was up your end, but it looked like we'd kind of forced them into that mistake in the end and they were frustrated and they got a man sent off. I don't know how bad the tackle was or whether it was because he was the last man by miles or whatever the reason was. They nearly got the wrong man sent off. The ref, the, the ref gave the red card initially to, I think it's Sorensen, the, okay. the blonde centre-half, and it was Pinnock who, who actually brought him down. Um, but he was right in front of me, the, the challenge. And, I mean, the guys uh, sort of debating it, the guys who have been at home watching it on TV and in the, in the WhatsApp group, but it was one of those where I was up in my seat immediately, <laughs> shouting at the linesman, shouting at the ref, and I didn't think they were going to give it, and then they did. And I think, I think as you say, Cole, we forced it. it Saar made the run. It seemed like immediately from the start of the second half, we were more urgent. We were more direct. We got that ball down the side. We, it was a perfect pass. I think it was from, from Ngaki, a perfect pass down the side to Saar. And he, once he's in, he's away from you. He's got two options. He was at the angle. He could have gone on a shoot or he could just slow down and wait for the defender. That's what he did. He goes down. He got the penalty. But, and as we know, Troy dispatched it, as, as he always does. A wonderful moment for us all to celebrate a goal. But that, 
down the other end just at the wrong time, just after we've scored. It just felt like it just cut our legs off again, didn't it? It did. It just seemed to take all that confidence out of us again. And we sort of regressed back into that sort of slow, sideways passing, trying to find gaps. Brentford seemed happy to commit men forward when they were attacking, even though they only had... 10 men and they looked more likely to make something happen from their set pieces perhaps with the uh, yeah. all of a sudden we were struggling with, with Tony all of a sudden we were scared of him we saw Ikon get booked we saw Cabaselli get booked I think Ken Sema gave a free kick away where he sort of had grabbed hold of him didn't want to let him go and they looked more dangerous and, and I think that's because they were happy to commit men forward because they could see that once again we were slowing the game down slowing the tempo and they knew that they could get men back quick enough before we could cause any threat and this is this isn't really meant to be a criticism of Troy because I think he he did decent tonight. We we know what he does, but it was quite instructive, I think, to look at even Tony tonight, one of the division's best best strikers in form, scored lots of goals, got for a pretty decent price, and that's what's out there. That you know he moved well, he drew fouls from our, he should have scored two at least two in the first half, and you know you know that is kind of did did sort of show us what is out there and what we haven't got. He was pretty terrifying uh, second half behind the goal in the Vicarage Road end. Every high ball, you just saw him come like a steam train and there was nothing really we could do to stop him. And when, you're, when you play with 10 men, that's what you're hoping for, isn't it? You're hoping for one ball, one, one uh, header drops down to someone and they can stick it away. I remember a game in our promotion season, we played Brentford away and, we, and they went down to 10 men and, and Andre Gray scored. <laughs> we ended up winning the game, but kind of, you know, we missed the penalty and then finally we, we won it 2-1. But, so it's funny when you play against 10 men. And I actually thought we did quite well once we got over the misery of having conceded the penalty, which was well taken, I thought, by the way. And then we got players wide. We had Sam really out on the, on the touchline, Saar on the other one. We make, you know, that's what they always say when you play against him, and make the pitch as wide as possible, make them run, tie them out. But they were well organised. We did create some good chances. Cleverly had a, a nice shot, which went wide. We had, you know, we had bits and pieces, but we didn't create that really clear chance, except... A ball in, I think from either Saar and Gaki, I couldn't see from where I was sitting, and Parisa turned it in, and it was given offside, and apparently it wasn't offside. So We have, uh, we have, seen, we have seen screenshots in, in the yeah. WhatsApp group this evening, it's, which does lead us to believe that it was onside, and I think Parisa knew as well. He knew, even though he was quite good about it, went over to the linesman and gave him a fist bump, um, whereas I think a few people in the crowd <laughs> wanted to do exactly the opposite, a bit more of a stronger fist bump, perhaps. But, um, yeah, look, we, we did, as Cole said, we created the chance, we got there, and I think... It's, it's been interesting for me seeing this game tonight because I really haven't enjoyed this season so far just watching the games at home on my laptop. It's, you know, the games haven't been brilliant really apart from the Preston game. It's been quite a soulless experience. And being back there tonight, I don't know whether it's just me being in the stadium, but it does feel maybe different to the last few weeks where we've come away from wins and been about, well, it wasn't that much fun, was it? At least we sort of ended on the front foot against a good team. Who we're, we are, They're a good team, but we're above them in the table. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I always find that night games, if we haven't won at home, I'm full of adrenaline and sort of playing it through in my mind. What could we have done differently? So I'm hoping that doesn't happen tonight because we've got to work tomorrow, <laughs> so I want to get to sleep. But yeah, I'm, it will be that, that, sort of, yeah, that final part of, of experiencing the game thinking about it as you're going home I'm sure I will be struggling to sleep tonight because I will be playing it over and over again in my mind and of course it's just a few hours ahead of moving back into tier three so it could be a while before we get to come here again so it's it's great to experience it and we just keep our fingers crossed that we can get back here sometime soon. 
I think the great thing about coming, which I think you've pinpointed perfectly, is we've all sat in our sitting rooms watching it. Not brilliant performances, as you say, quite slow. And, you know, we've won some games, we've drawn some games, we've been beaten a few times. But what's different about coming is the emotion. And, you know, we would still come to this ground to watch Watford play if they, you know, were in League One or League Two or whatever, as I did when I, when I was a kid. And it's the emotion of being here with the players that you've got. And you know those are the players you've got. There, aren't, there isn't a sort of magic player sitting somewhere, you know, underneath the uh, Elton John stand. You can come on and, you know, and do something absolutely miraculous. Those are the players you've got. You get behind them. You've got people around you singing, moaning, shouting, swearing, whatever. And it was that, that emotion. And I, obviously we haven't felt that since March here. And uh, it did feel really quite good, even though, you know, the football was a bit raggedy at times. It wasn't like the game against Liverpool, which was the last game when we played some amazing sort of Premier League style football. This was a kind of, you know, get stuck in lads, lots of challenges in the air, lots of barging into players, lots of ball pinging around like a pinball with four players in midfield trying to get hold of it. But watching it as a fan and purely as a fan, the, that, the emotion of it was, was kind of back and, uh, and uh, as you say, full of adrenaline, as you can probably hear in my voice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's exciting. I'll just leave you with one, one thing that came to me tonight before we go and get out of the cold. Something that, when it happened, I was just like immediately struck by, I, I didn't know how to react. Because I'd never ever heard or seen this thing before in my life. And I'd never thought that I would. We'd scored and the, the cheer had died down and just, just a little bit of a murmuring of, of, uh, of people sitting back in their seats after the kickoff. Harry the Hornet walked right in front of me and I heard him just go, come on. And I thought, hang on. I've never heard his voice before. <laughs> it just didn't look right. It didn't sound right. But it's great to be back. Great to see Harry. Great to see everyone else. And come on, lads, let's get out of the cold. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Thanks, guys, for breaking down the game for us there. Uh, afterwards, of course, Adam was there covering the game for the Athletic. Uh, and he went to the press conference to speak to Vladimir Ivic. And let's hear what he thought about the performance from Watford. I believe that with the extra money, we should win this game because uh, we had one player more, I think... Uh... 30, 35 minutes, yes. I believe that first 10, 15 minutes uh, when we play 11 against 11 in the second half, it was much better and we were the team who, who were dominant. Uh, if you speak about first 45 minutes, must be realistic and say that uh, Bradford it was the team who were dominant, had controlled the game, two good chances. We had maybe one with the SAR from the beginning and uh, maybe they deserve something more from this 45 minutes, first 45 minutes. But in the second 45 minutes, I believe that for, we started good. We, we were the team who, who, who did a good uh, defence, the good uh, pressing, uh, good passing uh, in this first 10-15 minutes and uh, we score one goal. Uh, after the penalty, we stay with one player more. But again, uh, it's not first time that we concede the goal immediately after when we score. It's not first game. Okay, don't understand the, why it's happened and we spoke about that a lot of times and, you know, especially... When you have one player more, it's not, not something usually. It's, it's the game, we need to continue. It's, uh, we cannot be satisfied with one point. Because of everything what's happened and, uh, during the game, and I speak about when we stay with uh, one player more, that means we, we try to, to change the situation, to put two strikers extra inside, to use more, more our wing player, full-back uh, for the crossing, but uh, we play totally, totally opposite in the last 15-20 minutes. Try to play with the long ball, uh, from behind uh, with two central uh, defender of them, which uh, it's totally, totally crazy. But again, I believe that uh, you know what is the reason. We need to find the reason, and we need to fix this 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 problem. What we had, I cannot speak uh, from my view from the bench because I didn't know. I believe that it was offside. Yeah. Okay, but after when I 
come back in the dressing room, I see exactly the moment of the cross and the, and the position of the, of, the, of, the, of the striker and of the defensive player. It was clear. It was clear. It's not, not question about the situation because I believe that it was clear goal. No, no, no chance that it was offset. You know, it's for sure I'm frustrated. You know, everybody is frustrated with something like that happened, you know, because this is, uh, this happened because we don't have why, you know. We can speak now about one game when uh, cleverly score and they said that the ball don't cross the, the line. You know, this is the football, you know, this happened. Because of that, I believe that war is good to, 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 to have in, in the championship because this is some small details which make the big difference. If uh, we had today war, I believe that we, we could uh, take two, pl- two points more. Or maybe in the, some previous game, maybe we can stay without some points. But again, I believe that war is good because of this situation what's happened today and maybe in some previous games. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the rookery end. If you have not yet subscribed to The Athletic, you should do, because it's, it's worth a try. Go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, uh, and you can sign up there and make us look good. Uh, and at the moment, if you do sign up, you get one yourself, and you can give one to a friend. And it's a special sort of, I don't know, you might have not bought your Christmas present yet. It's quite a good thing to do. Go online, sign up, get them involved. It's a simple present to get. And as we normally do on these midweek podcasts, we catch up with Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, uh, to find out about what he's been writing about who he's been speaking to and what he thinks about what's going down at Vicarage Road. Mike spoke to him before the game. Adam Leventhal of The Athletic. How are you? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Really good, thank you. Looking forward to this game. Should be, it should be a cracker. Uh, those that listened to the last podcast will have heard you speaking to Troy Deeney at the end of the game. Yeah. How is our club captain? First things first, it was just great to be able to speak to a player um, sort of off the cuff a little bit because he'd just gone on to Hive Live and done his interview and then we were able to just grab him, still in his kit, still fresh and he was very keen to speak. I think he was also quite keen to sort of stop for as many people because he was in his hometown in in Birmingham, obviously. And he was in good spirits. Obviously, he'd scored. It had been difficult for him in the first half. There wasn't much going on around him. And then, you know, as you boys 
excellently analysed in the uh, in the last podcast. You know that once Steeper Parizza came on and he got a little bit more around him, then he came alive. That's 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 what he does. So yeah, it was good to catch up with him. And it was funny in the actual interview obviously he, he said something about oh you know and uh, you can read the, the stuff in the athletic about Leventhal will be saying that I'm holding them back and whatever and I didn't quite hear what he'd said <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure what he'd said so I asked him again and I didn't quite get that right either but it was all good spirits and it was interesting just from a sort of um, you know from from my point of view but also I suppose for for fans listening as well you know some some players will go never read the papers never read this never read that but he's sort of you know he he's he's into it you know he obviously reads the stuff on the athletic and he takes the, the criticism constructively and maybe motivationally and I, I found the bit where he said you know you know a lot of managers have come and gone and people saying that I'm sort of past it etc etc but I must be doing something right to be reselected now you know you look at that and you go well yeah maybe there hasn't been someone to pick up the baton and maybe that's down to recruitment or down to circumstances but you've got to be fair to him you know he has come back in he has looked like he's he's progressing getting more mobile and becoming more of a useful fulcrum especially in this championship side so that is good to catch up with him and just to speak to someone face to face and it'd be a bit more relaxed because often we're not getting access to to players and you know we don't have a mix zone where people can just walk through even if you're not interviewing them just to just to talk to them, just say hello, just to make eye contact. We don't get that, and, and I think it, it's nice sometimes to just just bump into someone and, and say hello. And he was obviously in a good mood because he'd scored and he'd beaten Birmingham, yeah. and he was back in his in his hometown. So obviously on good form. But when you do see Troy like that, so willing to talk and so effusive and yeah. uh, sort of just bouncing around, full of that energy, you do it does bring it home really how important he can be to Watford, doesn't he? And I think we saw again another glimpse as to how Troy is this week on social media when he, he saw that uh, a Watford fan had been was struggling because he'd found out that he'd had a tough tough couple of months, tough couple of weeks and then found out he wouldn't be going to Boxing Day. Troy stepped in and offered tickets for, for the game against Brentford, which is, you know, he's a big, big character, isn't he? And that doesn't always work in his favour. But as we're sort of quickly realising, it's, you know, it's incredible to think we're here at Watford again, watching another Watford game. You go to the away games as well, I don't. And I feel like it's, we're on a conveyor belt. So the, just the, the churn in this division is, is quite extraordinary. We, we got out of the practice, didn't we, in the Premier League? Yeah. So someone that is big, energetic, bold, noisy, and of course a threat on the pitch is, is important. And, and Troy can be such a, a, a valuable thing for Watford, can't he? He can be. Uh, and I think that, you, you know, maybe, and he alluded to it a little bit by when he said that, you know, it will turn, it will turn almost sort of implying that, yeah, this is, it's not quite right yet. But I think that's, that's talking about on the field. But I think it's probably taken him a little bit of time to just recalibrate and gone, right, OK, I was potentially going to go, I was sort of maybe ready to go, but now I'm back, OK, I'm getting my fitness back, I'm scoring, I like the way it feels, I like being around this side, I know how important I can be. And it's good for his ego as well. You know, he's a, he's a big fish in a small pond. And... Not in, a, not in a negative way, but that's, that, I think that drives him. You know, I think it drives him. And, and I think, yeah, we've seen the human side to him. He can be very sensitive. He can be very sort of um, ambassadorial in the things that he does as well with the, with the football club. So hopefully it can just build and build and, and that there can be a, you know, a, an upward curve of positivity you know, for him in this side and in that dressing room. Because I, I saw a quote from him on Talk Sport when he was talking about, um, you know, when players went back into the dressing room at Arsenal when Granit Xhaka had been sent off 
you know, he would be hoping that he was sat there with his head between his knees and ready to say sorry to everyone and wasn't, you know, dressed up in his suit and ready to go. Because if he was, then the captain should be, you know, tearing strips off him. And I can imagine that that's so important in that dressing room. You know, if, if Vladimir Ivic is maybe a little bit more, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more quiet, I don't think he's 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 not backwards and coming forwards. But if he's got a different style around him, sometimes it's like when you get out in the middle of the pitch or just before you're about to go out, you need that tub thumper. You need that person that's going to be on everyone. And he's not been like that all the time in every game because we get to hear, you know, what he's been like. But when he gets his when his noise is up, he's the loudest person on the pitch. And he is the most important leader that we have that can potentially get us back led into the Premier League. Maybe his, his, his goals aren't necessarily going to do it, but maybe his leadership will. Troy buzzing then, which is good. Club captain, back, back in form, looking nice and fit and, and ready for the challenge. Another experienced striker, though, at the club. Uh, the polar opposite. You wrote about him this week, of course. Yeah, obviously talking about Glenn Murray. Um, I did a piece um, for The Athletic and I, I worked with my uh, colleague Andy Naylor, who I think he's featured on the podcast before, um, I think last season when we were about to play Brighton because he covers Brighton and we've sort of looked at it from, from both sides. And yeah, it, it's been a really difficult time for him and mainly due to things out of his control. I mean, we'll come on to the things that are in his control in a moment, but the things that have been out of his control is that he basically found himself in a striker department that was terribly overcrowded there was no social distancing in the, in the strikers <laughs> department because everyone was just sort of unexpectedly in there it's like oh, hang on a minute what are you doing here what are you doing there and you know it's like that spider-man <laughs> meme hang on i'm the same person sort of thing you know just saying that they're doing the same things and that popped up when he joined and when he was going to meet troy Deeney in the first place people will be going like well hang on a minute we, we both don't need to be here musical and, chairs for the number nine shirt yeah and and you know, you look at that and you go, right, yeah, well, Gray got injured, Dini was injured, João Pedro had been promoted, Stipe Parizza arrived later on that day. And what had been mooted of, you know, come, play, maybe be first change or even starter, quickly shifted around. And I think that showed in his early performances that he sort of knew that, you know, on the horizon, these players are going to be coming back and, and he'd had to take his opportunity straight away. And maybe he wasn't quite on it as, as he should have been. And then, I, you know, I talk about it in the, in the piece right at the top. And I vividly remember being at Adams Park, seeing him on the pitch afterwards, doing his warm-ups, which, <laughs> which you know, the Ivic staff seem to be very officious about, you know, post-match warm-downs. However much you've played or whatever in the second half, if you've been a substitute, you get on there, you do your sprints and get rid of your energy or whatever it is. And he just looked, he cut a very sort of sorry figure. And a, there was a wry smile and, you know... I just think he was thinking, what am I, what am I, what am I doing here? This, is, this isn't what I, you know, like a Ron Seal sort of moment, yeah. reverse Ron Seal. And then obviously in, in recent days, um, in recent weeks, his absence coincided with, you know, three original players being ruled out with, with um, COVID. Um, and, you know, that issue is dealt with in the piece. And then you have to now look at what does he want to do? You know, he's got a year left on his contract or he's in the last year of his contract. He probably wants to go out and play football. But then Watford don't want to necessarily go, right, well, yeah, you can go. And then Deeney might go again. So it's like, it's a weird sort of reverse now of, of the two transfer windows, waiting for people to leave. And now people potentially might leave, which might give them the opportunity. And then also they don't want to strengthen a, a rival potentially, you know, if he wants to go to Bristol City. Someone mentioned on The Athletic, you know, in the comments underneath, and it's a, it's a very good point. I hadn't really thought about it at the time. 
but you know maybe going to Nottingham Forest and playing for Chris Hewton who you know played well for um, at Brighton you know that might be an opportunity it'll be interesting to see what happens but it, I, I feel for him because he's a good guy and he's a good character and he's a he's another good leader like Troy you know so it would be it would be nice to see him back and just be able to sort of play a game and go even if he's even if he's leaving go right I've come on I've popped up with a goal and you look at the quality of him and this is my personal opinion I sort of believe there's a better player in Glenn Murray than there is in Andre Gray. And that's just my personal opinion. Well, his, his recent record is it's much better, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's obvious. And personally, I but thought... different players. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very, very different players. But Andre Gray, you know, obviously injured. But it does... I feel sorry for him as well, because I have to say, I thought it was a positive signing when he yeah. came in. I probably thought the same as Glenn Murray, and as much as one would be going out... Yeah. And to get proven, not just championship experience, but proven Premier League experience. He has scored goals pretty relentlessly over the last couple of years. And he might not be everyone's cup of tea because he's that sort of old-fashioned looking number nine, big, big striker. But, you know, like he will take it whichever way we can get it, yeah. wouldn't we, at the, at the start of the season. But I think it does go to show, doesn't it, just how difficult the life of a footballer can be. Because obviously he's signed, he's thought, right, Watford are in a good position to have a good tilt. If I chip in with 15, 16 goals and Watford get back to the Premier League, there could be a move there, there yeah. could be a move yeah. elsewhere, and, he's, uh, and the Glenn Murray machine keeps on ticking. It hasn't, it hasn't worked, and it remains to be seen what happens. I do wonder whether he's helped himself with his performances, and perhaps you talk about his, yeah. his warm down, and it, it, that attitude does get, you know, attitude is a bit strong, but the way you react does get noticed at football no, clubs, no, no, doesn't no. it? Just to be fair, to be fair it, was, it was just more looking to the sky and thinking... Yeah, yeah, I understand. You know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. like... I've seen other players react worse, yeah. to be honest. I won't name names. Yeah, we'll they, save that. But they have. Yes, his performances weren't good, so he didn't, it didn't catch light. He had that chance, and it yeah. could have changed the narrative. And the chance that he had at Wickham, if he'd scored that chance, it was a really good run along the edge of the box. Kiko played it in. It yeah, just yeah. glanced by the edge of the post. It could have been different. And it shows the fine margins on the pitch, but also the fine margins off the pitch as well, because the club were effect- effectively covering their, cover- covering their bases. You know, right, we've got a body in, just in case. It was a sensible thing to do, and it's just not worked out. So, potentially, a route out of, of Watford in January, maybe for Glenn Murray, obviously. Yeah. We know better than to second-guess second, uh, second guess any of the transfer <laughs> operations yeah. of Vicarage Road, but we're a little way out yet. We haven't even got to Christmas yet, but the January transfer window will open, and there will be speculation. Just your quick feeling, Adam, about how much, um, how much movement in or out there's likely to be at Vicarage Road? I think, and this is something that I'm going to be writing in, in detail for The Athletic over the coming days. I haven't quite earmarked exactly when it's going to drop yet, but it will be coming. Just to look ahead what the, what the January transfer window holds, I think the priority will be, as you would expect, keeping hold of the players that we've got and that we were sort of under siege for. Well, there was only one, really, wasn't there? It was Ishmael Assar for, you know, in, in the summer. Has the situation changed with Troy enough for him to be completely content if someone does now? come in now he's got himself fit you know that's worth considering would someone take Andre Gray will he go somewhere I don't know has he done enough to show that someone might might want him there are other players you know like Will Hughes it's a difficult one because you know teams will have wanted him in the summer but he wasn't fit then he's he's not fit at the moment he's not available at the moment do, do you think you know, that, that this we've talked a lot on the on the podcast and supporters have I think we've been very careful to, to say that this has been a difficult sort of first third or so to the season that against the backdrop of so many issues injuries being a big one and performances not quite hitting the mark that we'd like them to 
being another. Do you think in this transfer window, in terms of holding on to players, yeah. that might actually play into Watford's hands? So you mentioned Ismail Assar. You, whilst he's obviously thrown, shown glances and glimpses of being threatening, he hasn't looked much like a 40, 50 million player to the, to the casual observer. He's obviously talented. Will Hughes has been out for the entire time. He only just starting to make a comeback and now is, is that seemingly unavailable again. So Troy, as we've mentioned, seems happy and focused again. So do you think it might have actually worked in, in our favour, this sort of difficult, difficult period? Potentially, yeah. Uh, but I, I still think it will be a month of uncertainty. Because, Wonderful. Look yeah. forward to that, Nick. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, it, it's, it, that won't surprise anyone. First things first on, on, on Saar, I think, you know, at the club, they will go, yeah. form is temporary, and form hasn't been that bad. He's still provided absolutely, a fair of assists, absolutely. and he's still popped up with a few important goals. Um, but his, his class is, is permanent, and hopefully he will, he will have retained his value for a better market in the summer. I think that's how they will view it. But then you've got other sort of randoms like Capu if he's not quite still happy and if Javi makes the call again from Valencia. And Valencia get a uh, nice blank check for Christmas, well, perhaps. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's all sorts of uncertainties. Um, but then, obviously, let's not forget the, the priority um, figure of, of trying to get a left-back in. That's Vladimir Ivic's um, priority, or a left-footer. Um, you know, it's going to be... It's, it's, it's a more difficult argument than it was in the summer when it was very apparent that he needed one because now Adam Messina's, Adam Messina's out on the training pitch. So the hierarchy can probably go, well, he's over there. Look, <laughs> there he is. You don't need one now. So you've, you've dealt with it. It's like, you know, it's like in, um, uh, like, I, I always, there's always this story about, um, like, councils, when it comes up to the end of the tax year, they, you know, they've got a certain amount of budget for cones and signs and everything. <laughs> you yeah, filling bottles. They always get it done. We've got to spend this money, otherwise we're not going to get it next time. In, in reverse, Vladimir Ivic has almost sort of shafted himself because he's actually done a really good job with what he's got. So um, I think it's going, to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And there might be other, you know, other bids here and there for other players that might change, might change things. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. More fun and games at Vicarage Road. Let's hope there's fun and games on the pitch this evening as Watford take on Brentford. Come on, you horns. From the rookery end... A podcast about life following Watford FC. Thank you so much for all the amazing feedback you guys have given us to the, the little sort of reflection documentary thing that we did on the weekend around the 1999 playoff semi-final second leg at St Andrews. It was a, a joy to make, uh, a joy to listen to, and we really hope that you guys liked it. And, and you seem to you seem to do that. We had a fair few. Uh, messages come in definitely at university like I was uh, but also it was uh, a joy uh, to hear just what some of you guys you, you did to sort of uh, get there there were definitely some uh, run-ins or possible run-ins uh, with Birmingham City fans while parking your car nearby but uh, Andy Turner what, what an experience you had on the night. We got, a, we got a tweet from him. It was the most intense away game or, or any game I've ever been to. After Palmer's miss, I spent the rest of the shootout with my back to the pitch or head in my hands. Luckily, Paul Robinson was sitting directly behind me and calmly guided me through all the events before heading onto the pitch. Fantastic. But the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And again, it, we, we enjoyed about this and hearing it is how people got to watch the game, particularly Fran in the chat room in Boston in America. 
we got one from Andrew Jordan. And, well, he did have quite an elaborate way of trying to watch the game. Hi, lads. I was a young squaddy at the time. And from March 99, I had been on a NATO peacekeeping tour of Bosnia, positioned in a small mountain camp called Kupres. I think that's how you say it. Uh, we were pretty isolated, so I had been relying on my brother Ian to keep me up to date with the Orn's late season progress. After the first leg, my anticipation for the final at Wembley had led to a sustained campaign, daily begging of my senior officer, that resulted in my two weeks R&R being booked to coincide with the big game at Wembley. Well planned. Being on tour in what was still a very delicate piece with Kosovo conflict erupting nearby, left me with a couple of hundred lads from my regiment quite isolated. The British Forces radio station was our only link home, so I never expected to be able to watch the game while away. That was until the prospect of Watford's promotion sparked the interest in one Royal Engineer lads, who was originally from St Albans. I was slightly more overt in my love and appreciation of all things yellow and black, and so our conversation started to focus on the second leg. During one of those chats, I said, imagine if we could watch the game, not expecting anything of it. A couple of days later, he came up and said, want to watch the semi-final, mate? I laughed, but he pursued. Now, mate, seriously, I can rig up a satellite connection. To this day, I have no idea how this was possible, but to be honest, was doubtful in his abilities to deliver. But he did. On the evening, after significant tinkering, a very grainy image appeared on the screen in the Royal Engineers team's bar. It was a dry tour, so no beers available. We had missed the kickoff. My first realisation was that the Golden Boys were 1-0 down. We watched the first half. I was full of tension, my mate marvelling at his engineering abilities. Then, with half-time approaching, an apocalyptic storm rolled over the mountain and destroyed our link to St Andrews. All the tinkering in the world wasn't going to get us back to the game, and so I was left in a world of anxious anticipation, trying to find a way to get confirmation of our fate. Were we going to Wembley? I had only one option left, hoping that the British Forces Radio found Watford FC news worthy. I wasn't confident. I was sharing a room with three other lads. None particularly cared who won the game, but they accepted they would have to sleep while I was listening to the radio all night. Then it came, a news bulletin in the early hours. And finally, Watford have beaten Birmingham in a dramatic penalty shootout. Did they hear the rest? I was up, I was screaming, I was in the Vicarage Road End with my brother and my mate celebrating until I got told to shut them up by my tired and grumpy corporal. I wasn't at the game, I couldn't have been more isolated from it, but that one of my very best Watford FC moments. Thank you so much for all your correspondence. You can keep them up by going to at Watford Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and or Facebook where we got that message from Andrew. It was a fantastic, fantastic to hear all these stories uh, and we hope we can do more stuff like that to get your memories as Watford fans on our podcast that we call From the Record. Thank you so much DCW, Colin and Jason for their reports on the game and to Mike and Adam for their chat about what's been going on behind the scenes at Vicarage Road. It's off to Huddersfield on Saturday for the Hornets. Let's see if we can keep this unbeaten run going.